This is episode 72 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 72 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Diana House on the show, and it was a doozy. I know that sounds cheesy, but I mean it. It was a really, really cool talk. Diana is a very accomplished investor. She actually started out as a lawyer and then got into doing uh, her own developments after selling a couple of e-commerce companies. She's a serial entrepreneur, and she was just filled with wisdom. Uh, one of the conversations that we had, we really got into the nuts and bolts of development, as well as doing some commercial burrs and what goes into that. Uh, but we got into the mindset of how to approach the current situation. Of course, none of this is advice, but we both gave our thoughts as to how to deal with the current virus lockdown and what we're doing and how we're preparing so that we're most able to react going forward. And of course, most able to weather the storm in the long run. This is something that I really think you're going to benefit from hearing. And as always, I certainly appreciate your feedback if you'd ever like to reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook. A couple of housekeeping items. One, if you are new to this podcast, of course, make sure you head back to episode one and really dive into the earlier episodes where we dig deep on the numbers. Uh, I also have a cash flow sheet available for anybody that wants it at Andrew Hines forward slash cash flow. If you'd like to use the sheet that I use to analyze deals. As always, if you haven't already, please take a moment to hit the like, subscribe, and notification bell, as well as review this podcast on Apple Podcasts and share it with anyone you think might benefit from hearing it. It certainly would be appreciated by me, and it will help the podcast to reach more people and help them as well. As I record this intro, it is June 26th, and of course, the world is still in an absolute state of uh, craziness. Of course, we have the lockdown, but even more concerning to me is the situation going on in the United States with statues being torn down. And uh, if you haven't noticed, we're sort of living in a cancel culture where free speech is not all right. This is definitely a slippery slope and highly concerning to me. I firmly do believe that free speech must be preserved. Friends, again, I just want to ask that you please, when you see things, when you think things, uh, when you have an opinion, please speak out. Don't be afraid to share that. We really do need to make sure that we don't end up like Venezuela because uh, these things can happen here. If you look back in history, I'm pretty sure everyone thought that uh, a revolution could never happen in their country. But if we let enough things go by without saying anything, then we might uh, we might be surprised in a bad way. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there because I do believe in it. And as you know, I speak my mind on this podcast. So that's my little spiel for today. Uh, Without further ado, please enjoy this absolute grand slam of an episode, which I know you're going to love with Diana House, episode 72. Here you go. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Diana House on the podcast today. Diana, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. So I've heard your name around a bunch and uh, I know that you're well known in the investor community, but I don't know too much further than that. And uh, I was hoping you could uh, enlighten me. You're in London, Ontario, correct? Yeah, we, um, in normal times, we're, we're obviously filming this during the Q team. Yeah. Um, we split time between London and Toronto, um, but we've been 90% in London the past few months. Okay. And uh, are you, I know you have a couple different businesses that you're involved in. So why don't you just start off kind of telling me a bit about that and then we'll get into your real estate stuff. Sure. Yeah. So my high level is I actually am a lawyer turned serial entrepreneur. So went to law school, then ran away to Bali and started my first e-commerce company, which is super random. Um, I've sold two e-commerce companies and then now very focused on the real estate space. Um, within real estate, similar to you, um, do uh, things in the in the mortgage space. So we're uh, a private lender, mm-hmm. uh, a mortgage administrator. 
Um, we do real estate development and then real estate investing. So you just do everything is, is basically the, uh, <laughs> the short of it. I guess so. I try not to do everything. Yeah. I really make a concerted effort to be very yeah. focused, but it seems like it's, it's hard in real estate to only mm -hmm. do one thing. Um, and then uh, most recently with uh, the pandemic, um, about a week after everything shut down, I started a disinfectant fogging company um, called Go Fog It. I saw that. I, w I was curious what that was. Uh, I just saw the, uh, the name. I, had, I didn't know what you were doing there. So, okay. So you don't waste any opportunity is what you're saying. <laughs> Apparently. I think I must be a workaholic. Okay. Um, did you go to Ivy? Did I read that right? Um, I've done the Ivy leadership program. Okay. Um, I went to Western Ryerson and Mac, and then I went to law okay. school in Australia at Bond. Okay. But I'm definitely like a lifelong learner. I think there was like a kind of a five-year period where I think I probably spent about half a million dollars in personal development going to like everything from like Tony Robbins to uh, mastermind talks, pretty much anything I get my hands on to hanging out with Richard Branson at his private island um, a couple of times wow. with some high-level masterminds. So yeah, definitely a lifelong learner. Did not finish that after university, nor am I close to finishing that anytime soon. That's a very good way of being. Yeah. I can, I can definitely relate. Like I'm just I actually just find that I want to, like, I just want to know more. So I'm just constantly trying to understand new perspectives, like new, new ideas. Uh, but tell me a bit about these companies. Like, I mean, it, it clearly entrepreneurialism is in your blood here and, uh, you know, it's carried into real estate, which I think is a natural progression. Uh, but talk to me about these earlier companies and what you did and what the ideas were. Sure. So my husband's name is Jeff house. Uh, and his last name is like perfect for real estate. He actually got headhunted out of university. His dream was to be a pharmaceutical sales rep because he heard they went golfing a lot. Um, and instead, by complete fluke, uh, based off his very beefed up LinkedIn uh, profile, I guess would have been now probably 12 years ago, um, he got recruited to work at CV Richard Ellis um, on the commercial, commercial real estate side. So Jeff literally started at the bottom making, you know, I don't know, 30 K, uh, and really learning the real estate business on the corporate side from the bottom to the top. Um, so yeah, my real estate story definitely starts with him. Um, I was always into real estate from afar, but never knew what my entry point was going to be. I used to like journal in my early twenties and real estate kept coming up, but I just, I just didn't know how is that going to look like? Mm -hmm. Um, our family, um, uh, was involved in some real estate ventures when I was growing up. My mom was a realtor, okay. um, for a short period of time before she kind of stayed home with the kids. My dad kind of told her, you need to stay home with the kids because his business was erupting. Um, we're, we're an entrepreneurial family in the manufacturing space. So because of that, I had that very early exposure to deals. Okay. And I remember in my, oh, probably around 10 years old, my mom buying a power sale. And I remember it was like very hysterical because she had just bought a beautiful house in North London with put in a pool and then on a whim bought a power sale from someone who had, was going bankrupt um, for a, a fantastic property, but it was literally mid renovation. So definitely had some exposure there. And then also um, my parents had what I call a failed rental. Um, they bought like maybe the worst rental in London, Ontario, when I saw them slave for years trying to make this thing work. So I had very like mixed thoughts about real estate. Um, and although my family is very successful, they were not very successful in real estate. It was more in the manufacturing space. Mm -hmm. um, so when I met Jeff, he really catapulted me 
into the real estate space. Um, and I remember one of our first dates, Jeff's a bit of, well, he, he's toned it down a bit, but he used to be more of a wild man. Um, one of our first dates, he was buying a property sight unseen over the phone. So I was like, what is this world? And like, what is, is going on here? So during our honeymoon, we were in Hawaii and Australia. We were actually doing our first development project from afar, which I do not recommend doing that. It was a very painful process, um, but really, really a great outcome in the end. Um, but that kind of, I think, was our beginning of, um, funny enough, both development and private lending. And those two projects that we did at the beginning, the sight unseen project, and um, we did a, a, a tear down duplex sever into um, two linked homes that were a really big success in London, very beautiful and modern. Um, that was our first experience with private lending as a borrower. Okay. So you did like a semi-detached, you built, you tore down and built a semi-detached like side uh, by side? I don't know if it's called a semi-detached. It's a, it's a separate um, house, but it's called like a linked home. Okay. It's, How is it linked though? It's linked like somewhere, I think in the foundation or something like that. There's like just one piece. Okay. So I don't think it's classified as a semi-detached. But on two separate parcels of land. So they just meet on the property line. Yes. <laughs> yes. Never heard of that. Okay. So it's similar to a semi-detached if it's not a semi-detached. Yeah. I mean, okay. really, like, I think we sold these properties when we sold them for, I think it was the highest price per square foot in London um, okay. after we did it. So uh, it was a very unique product. They're on Kenneth Ave um, in London on a park. And they were the first like modern development in London, Ontario, which was, you know, it's very Toronto-esque, but mm -hmm. London's a little bit you know, behind on the times. Yes, definitely. Um, why that project was really interesting for us was we got private financing. Yeah. And when I say we, my husband got private financing before he met me or, or before I was like involved. I think we were still dating. Yeah. Um, and when I found out about private financing, I was horrified. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, you're, you spend 10% interest <laughs> on this? Like, this is crazy. And I remember speaking to my father about this and my dad's like, that's a great business we should get into that business. So we became private lenders and got into the private mortgage space because of our first development project um, and seeing kind of that opening in the market. Um, and because my husband is so skilled um, with the numbers of finance, um, that was, we were really able to differentiate ourselves and do more complex private lending as opposed mm -hmm. to just the like single family residential home. So on the lending side, our sweet spot, um, is the one to 10 million debt requirement. And we love a bit of complexity. So whether it's construction finance or whether it is a portfolio of properties um, or some other kind of layer of complexity, the stuff that the average private lender who maybe isn't that sophisticated mm -hmm. stays away from, that's kind yeah. of our bread and butter um, and the things that we really like on the yeah. lending side. Um, and then high level on the development side, we're all over the place. Call us, call us diverse. Um, we're doing a, right now currently a 23.5 acre a land development site. We're doing a multifamily residential site. Those are kind of our two uh, big projects right now. Um, and then our uh, historically, we focused on um, um, like commercial burrs. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you say commercial, give me an example. What would, sure. what would be an example of that? Yeah. Yesterday was actually refi day for uh, our last commercial burr. So what that one was, was um, it was an office redevelopment. So we off market purchased a um, 
pretty much like an abandoned, um, uh, is actually was technically zoned medical. It was all medical at the time. Um, during the conditional period, you know, we find the tenants, mm-hmm. um, we create the leases. So by the time we go firm, we already have the business plan and have created that value. Um, and then we do the renovation site. And so that one now is the home of two different um, head offices. Um, one for a promotional company and then the other one for an audiologist. So we did maintain um, some of the medical zoning. Okay. So you buy it. Was it vacant when you bought it? Yes. So that's how you get a good deal with commercial because vacant isn't uh, typically sought after. Yes and no. This one, I wouldn't say we stole the site. No. Um, This is very much like a legacy property uh, we own in london there's a really gorgeous block and our families now owns three in a row over there the first one we really stole this property um i wasn't running the construction finance at that point my husband and our business partner were um and, mm-hmm. and we did really well um this one i ran the construction finance which is probably my zone of genius like cost control and things like that mm-hmm. um we did not we we got it under market but like i wouldn't say we got a great great deal. Um, that said, we got really great tenants. Um, and we, the numbers made sense. So in the end it was infinite returns. Um, and we got all of our capital out at the end Mm -hmm. of the nine month project. So, I mean, we always think anytime you can do an infinite return project, even if you didn't like get the best deal in the world, it still makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because the way that that capital works, the way that appreciation works and mortgage paydown works, if you can create a cash flowing product that you're in for zero, I mean, how is that not a win? Exactly. As long as you're economically hedged in, in a market that you expect to continue to go up or stay stable. Plot twist, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's funny when when we bought this one, I was like, I, I do kind of feel like we're buying at the top of the market, and yeah. we knew that, and we were okay with that, and we structured the deal. Um, you know, knowing that. And I think, you know, you never know exactly where you are Mm -hmm. in the cycle. Um, But we knew we're like, okay, we're not getting the best deal in the world. However, we have like really strong tenants, multi-generational, you know, a multi-generational generational company, strong covenant, you know, medical is is usually quite strong and future development play. Mm -hmm. So um, in the future, if, if it came down to that, we could do um, a residential site on that property. So you would take um, that building down and build like a mixed use or I all, all res? You're allowed to? The zoning would allow that or you need to rezone? No, uh, we would have to rezone, but we would be able yeah. to do that. But again, that would yeah. be like 10 to 20 years from now. Okay. So a lot of the way we think is like, what can we do now that's a really great business plan today? that, you know, 10 to 20 years from now, depending on what is going on in the world Mm. and what real estate looks like, we have other options for density. Mm. Okay. Um, I want to dig into these, this idea well, one commercial, uh, commercial ownership, but I also want to dig into the development, get get an idea of what, what you're doing right now. You said one, one was townhouses. Did I hear that right? Or, um, so we're doing 23.5 acre master plan right now. Okay. So what's going to be in that master plan community? Yeah. So it's, it's evolving. Um, and we had a real, I mean, I'd say like, if you ask me Thursday, so we're at, we're at Tuesday. If you asked me Thursday last week, I would have told you one thing. Friday, we got completely annihilated mm-hmm. <laughs> on it, which is I think very normal in land development. Um, there's just so many stakeholders. There's the community, the municipality, conservation, 
Um, and so I would say it's an evolving uh, situation. Um, Jeff and I, my husband, we're very art driven. Um, and our, our goal is always to change the landscape and create mm -hmm. a very beautiful product. Um, that with coupled with like, you know, financial excellence and making it sustainable and profitable mm -hmm. and great, but we never just want to build something. So my goal for this site, uh, and I can't, uh, I can't say where it is yet because there's obviously other pieces to the puzzle sure. that we're still sure. trying to bring in. Uh, we're at 23 and we might be able to get to 123, um, eventually once we kind of get these puzzle pieces yeah. going. Um, so yeah, this one, I think much like any, uh, master planned, um, goal is how can you go into a, a region, really figure out who the people are, um, what their desires are, what their lifestyle is, what the culture is. Um, and can you create a, a diversity of housing, um, that fits the gaps? So this specific area doesn't have a lot of diversity in housing. So okay. it, you know, is mostly currently a single family homes, quite large lots. And, you know, definitely think that affordability is going to continue to be a dialogue for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're, our, our current, uh, our first go with the draft plan, um, definitely had diversity with, um, townhomes, some multifamily, um, some single family homes, as well as some, um, uh, like one story kind of retirement living. Um, and really part of that went with talking to the municipality and asking like, what are the requests that you guys are having? Yeah. What do people need in this area as opposed to what do we want to build? And then I think the art of it is then how do you, um, how do you deal with the details? So like, instead of just like doing a swim pond, a SWM stormwater management pond, how do you make it like world-class how they do in Europe? Like in Europe, there are artful swim ponds. Okay. It doesn't cost that much money to plant gorgeous trees and have beautiful benches and maybe even a walkway over an SWM yeah. pond. Not a lot of people do that in Ontario. Yeah. So that's kind of where we get really excited. How can we create connecting paths? How can we do um, uh, wider walkways? How can we have trees on, you know, um, one side of the sidewalk and then as well as like on the other side of the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we get really excited. How can we create uh, a really world-class living experience yeah. while still having that affordability, um, and dealing with like the target market and giving them kind of what they want that maybe they didn't even realize that they could get. Yeah. You've, you've just, gotten into so many interesting things here. Um, you know, one, making it artful or making it beautiful is something I firmly believe in. Be excited about your work, put passion into it, make it good. Um, but you're also talking about elements of the site plan approval process, which most people are not going to be familiar with. And uh, when I talk about development on this show, I've mentioned the concept of find out what they want, find out what the cities want what city wants. Cause you don't want to be at war with the city. You don't want to be fighting with them. You want them to be with you the whole way. You really don't want to be fighting with them. <laughs> Never fight with them because they, oh they just have this, this ridiculous amount of power over you. You don't have power in the situation. It's so, so it's well, no, you're a hundred percent right. And even like, I, I'm not gonna lie. We got our butt kicked, kicked on Friday. Yeah. Um, and there, there was 13 people on the call. Oh yeah. Wow. 13 different opinions. And, yep. you know, there was our, what happened the last meeting six months ago. And then there's what came through this time. And there were different messages and there were different requirements. And, you know, there was what, um, the regulations say. So for instance, like with conservation, 
-hmm. there's a thing called a four seasons EIS study. So basically in like wooded areas, you do this study and then based on the study, it tells you, can you develop this land or not? So, you know, you can do the EIS, the EIS could have a certain outcome, but technically if conservation does not want you to develop that area to the full extent, what are you going to do? Yeah. So, well, so you almost right. have to get good at asking them questions back. Well, what, what is your intention here? Or like, what, you know, what is it that you're concerned about? Like, let's work together. Because I don't want to push ideas that you're not on board with. So what do you want? And then, so you as a developer, are you, are you just trying to balance all those needs? Yeah. And by no means have I, like, I don't feel like I'm an expert at that yet. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I'm like feeling my way through that going mm-hmm. like, how, how do you do that? Because yeah. there's so much tension in development in this specific area. Um, there is, um, there's quite a bit of development and then there's these parcels. So what has happened is because no one's developed for so long, a lot of the township actually feels like they own these parcels oh, and they're yeah. ATVing on the parcels, for instance. Mm-hmm. So they actually feel like we're taking something away from them, even though like they don't own them. So, there's a lot of um, a lot of challenges, I think, with land development for various reasons. And one is usually communities are not that pro development. You know, oh, yeah. who who would want development when they could have like all these trees and yeah, exactly. all this, you know, empty space and things like that. So I think where we have um, our area of opportunity with this specific site is I have a vision in my head of why this is going to be epic. Mm-hmm. It has not been put on paper and presented yet. Yeah, but if you have enthusiasm about it, like you could probably sell the people in the community on the idea if you could make it great for them too. If you could for find sure. what they want. Have but you done really anything don't to try want and figure that out? <laughs> they really don't. No one wants it. No one wants change. It's it's they change. Everybody change. everybody resists change. And for yeah. some reason in the London area, they resist change twice as much as anybody else. I don't know why. Is this one in London or is it? They're really close. Close. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, I've been through some of the process down there and I, I know how that can be. And it's, um, it, it's really about picking your battles. Um, what, what made this a battle that you thought you could win? And, and what, what have you guys risked in the process? For sure. Well, I mean, definitely naivety. <laughs> I think like being ignorance on fire, I think takes you way too far. <laughs> and I think like, um, you know, my background is e-commerce. I've sold two e-commerce companies by the end of those two e-commerce companies. I was not naive about e-commerce. Like, I'm like, I know what you're signing up for when you start an e-commerce company. Mm-hmm. I think thankfully with land development, this is my first like real crack at doing this much land in one kind of chunk. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's like, I haven't experienced the pain yet and yeah. I'm not impatient. Like okay. I can wait 10 years. Like I don't have to develop this tomorrow. Like right. it, I, I don't have that. Like I'm 35. Okay. If it took till 45 to create like truly a legacy through this project, can yeah. I live with that? I, I could. So I think the one thing is I'm, I'm um, not that impatient about the timeline, whereas a lot of people get really frustrated with development because they think it's going to be tomorrow mm-hmm. or next year. It's never going to be tomorrow or next year. Development yeah. is like, just go plan on the next few years of going back and forth on this. And it, so long as you're comfortable in that container, you know, so I think that's right. kind of the one piece of it. Um, sorry, what was, you had two questions. You said, why do you think this is something? And what have you risked? What have you risked? Yeah. So I think the other pieces are 
you know, we structure, we usually structure deals that are pretty low risk. Um, and so how we do that is one bringing on strategic partners so that, you know, one, all the risk isn't on our, um, you know, side. And then the other thing is definitely utilizing different vehicles like, um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just forgot the word vendor take backs. Thank you. Um, like, and so with land, a lot of people don't know this, um, but the big guys, they structure large VTBs. Okay. Very, very, very large VTBs and therefore zero to no, to low percent interest. Okay. So are you're, you're, you're just making very low interest only payments on the land right now. I'm making no interest payments. Zero interest right now. Zero interest payments. For how long do you have no interest Three before? Years. Two years? Three years. Three years. That's a fantastic deal. <laughs> so, so again, and yeah. so I'm not going to lie. This was a really funny, the, the, okay. So the one piece is a legacy piece that, uh, it's a long story. Mm-hmm. My father actually picked up a long time ago. The next piece was a piece that never hit the market. Mm-hmm. We negotiated on it for three years. And, uh, finally it was one of those seasons where we had like 10 different deals on the table and we actually were like, you know what? We don't even want to do this one. It's just, it's just like, we're not going to get there. Uh, there was no VTB on the table at that point. And this is where, again, the ignorance sometimes works really well. I told my husband, I said, well, don't, don't just cancel it. Just like put your final offer in, mm-hmm. you know? And I said, 80% VTB, 0% interest three years. It may have been 75, it's 75 or 80. And my husband's like, I'm embarrassed to write, I'm embarrassed to write that offer. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, like, is that how you get deals done? Like, yeah. ego? like get over yourself. Like we're going to write this offer. We write it there said, let me see what we can do. And, and we got the deal. Now I told like 20 people about this. The first 15 people were like, I've never heard of that happening. And then the last five people who actually know what they're doing in development, they're like, that's normal in development. The really big guys structure mm-hmm. deals like that. So in the end, I'm actually not special. That's just what developers yeah. do. And I thankfully just got lucky. And funny enough, the reason I heard about that structure was from a private mortgage. Okay. Like somebody like that you were dealing with for a private mortgage. I saw a private mortgage cross my desk once where a builder had got, um, a very similar deal. Mm-hmm. It was so cool because by the time, um, it, the mortgage matured, um, the value went up like 50%. Yes. So he had bought the land for a mill after three years, it was worth 1.5. And I'm like, he literally put a hundred K in and he got, a 500% return. Like that's stupid. So I think like the cool thing about being on the uh, lending side is you see how creative deals are structured. And then on the development side and investment side, you get to then play with that. So, um, you know, knowing that deal now I know I'm like, it's actually very possible in land to get zero or low, um, uh, interest rate VTBs and like, why not ask for them? Yeah. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. It really is the case. Weibo in his, um, I've known Jeff Weibo from like age three. So, okay. Uh, I, I see he's doing this like, uh, offer a day thing. That's smart though. It is. He's, he's going to one day fight. He's going to get a stupid deal. Yeah. You just have to, you have to not worry about insulting somebody with your offer. I think if you bridge it, you just say, Hey, this is what I can do. Yeah. And <laughs> take, take it or leave it. 
Yeah. No pressure. This is what I can do. (laughs) Yeah. And eventually you're going to find someone and it's going to be the right day, the right moment in time. And they're going to be like, I'm just done with this. I want it. And then you, yeah. So I I love it. I think why not put offers out there, see Mm -hmm. what happens. You just never know. Okay. So in, I want to get a couple of contextual items with this property just so I can use it as a sort of a case study example here. Um, What's the total assembled cost of the different parcels? Or I'm guessing some of them were in the family already. So if you just had yeah. to put a market value on the ones that, that you transacted on. Um, I All actually park. don't know what the market value would be right now. I mean, and there's the market value today and there's the market value three months ago. I don't Wild know. Wild guess three months ago. <laughs> I don't know. A couple million know. bucks? I, I, I mean, we... Well, and then you go back to how we value things. Yeah. So we value things very differently because yeah. if my father bought the one piece 15 years yeah. ago, how we value it is we put a 10% interest compound on his money. Mm. Okay. Do you know what I mean? So you're saying you, you, even though you're not paying interest, you still put it up or are you paying him interest? No, 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 okay. no. So just like in our family, yeah. we have like a baseline, how we look at money. Okay. The baseline is if you have a dollar, you better be making 10 cents on that dollar at all times. So So if we have made some kind of investment, like our our price to be in that investment is that 10 cents Mm -hmm. on that dollar. So, um, you know, with my dad and his parcel, we actually like just laid it out in the compound interest of like, um, this is what he bought it for nothing. Mm -hmm. And then there's actually a second piece that we assembled a uh, long story short, but yeah, when we did it, but yeah, these are all like land, land, you don't do land if you're not going to make potential millions kind of thing. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And I, yeah, I was just trying to get an idea of the, the ballpark of where, where you're starting, but I like yeah. the concept of, of the 10% base rate. So, um, I think, I, I think remembering back to business school, like the internal cost of capital, like, you know, if you're using, utilizing your own capital, you expect whatever it is. Like if you know, you know, we could put money elsewhere at 6%. So we consider that a break-even profitability. Totally. Um, yeah. Totally. So that's a, that's a business concept. It's definitely a useful one. Um, yeah. okay. So say you've got a, you know, would you say you're in the two to $3 million range of market value now, if you had to guess, or it could be even broader than I that? Mean, I, I hope that we would know we'd be way higher way higher. Okay. Yeah. So like 5 million, 6 million kind yeah. of current yeah. value. Sure. And then you're talking about something, if it's 23.5 acres, you're talking like you could make thousands of units on, on that, that size. of. I don't think it's thousands. It's in the hundreds. Hundreds. I mean, so not even a thousand. Okay. Park, I think it's like 700. Okay. Okay. So yeah, not, not building really dense then. So more like there's currently, yeah. Oh, and you know what? I don't think I'm counting that in my math. Um, there's, I think in our, our one plan, there's a block of medium mm-hmm. high density, which is mm-hmm. like four stories yeah. of like, I think it's like 80, 80 units per building. Ah, oh, 240. Okay. Then you know what? We probably actually would be over a thousand if I counted mm-hmm. those blocks in draft okay. plan. We kind of like ignore those right now. Yeah. So end valuation here, um, you know, we're probably 50 million plus. Uh, I hope so. 50 to a hundred somewhere well, in there. It also depends yeah. on where we jump off. Yeah. And where the market goes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you, if you keep it to maturity or if you sell it once it's site plan approved, it all, we probably won't build it all out. Yeah. You could sell off uh, sections of it. Definitely. Like the single family homes, like we're not going to develop 
the single mm-hmm. family homes getting. But again, we have that flexibility with, with land. Um, you know, do you want to take it all the way? Which again, no one would ever take it all the way unless you were a residential home builder, which yeah. we're not residential home builders. Yeah. Um, but you know, the the multifamily blocks, you know, that is of interest for us to keep forever, you know, to build out and, and keep forever. Um, and uh, again, Thursday, there was going to be one section that was going to be townhomes. Today, we actually might switch that strategy mm-hmm. and do bigger lots because of some of those tensions um, yeah. that I had brought up. So yeah, you're going to become a professional uh, manager of different wants and needs and, uh, and find a way to get it done. And then there's a certain element there of, of what the city has in their official plan or what the municipality has in their official plan. Are you congruent? Is your plan congruent with, they already, with what they already had in their plan? Or are you going to have to amend their plan? No. Um... I know we have to rezone. I know we have to do ZPA. I think we, do you know what? I don't, I don't actually, I think we're okay on OPA. Okay. So they don't actually, so it's already congruent, but even if it wasn't, if you have the support of, of the community, if it kind of fits, that's, then... not our, that's probably the one thing that's not our issue. Okay. We have many other issues. Like there's a servicing issue. There's a, uh, an issue with the, you know, with the municipality and like sewage uh, capacity issue. Water pumping. Water pumping issue. Yeah. Okay. There, there is a sewage capacity issue as well. We pretty much got one of everything in this one. Yeah. Besides, I, I'm, OPA is like the one thing I'm not worried about. Yeah. So I feel like we're going to get our MBA and land development on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of me is like, am I really naive to think that we're going to be able to get this done? Because there was a very, very smart uh, developer before me that has worked on this for 15 years and ran into not the whole thing. They mm-hmm. had one piece. Um, and part of what we've done is we've now assembled four pieces because we're like, okay, yeah. if we have um, uh, like that mass, we can push things through. Whereas if you have a smaller group that's disjointed, you know, half the time you're just trying to get all the developers on the same page, which at least cut that yeah. piece out. Well, you know, there's, there's maybe balancing needs there because I, observationally, um, looking at like a project that I've worked on and then, you know, we had a sewage capacity issue and then all of a sudden one of the other developers just paid to improve the, the capacity because they didn't so want to wait. We're, so, and we're, we're in the position that we could do that and that yeah. we, if we can work out a deal, mm-hmm. that's something that we would do. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think people realize it though. Um, like even here in Burlington where I live, um, the all of Maple Street just got brand new sewer, brand new water main, all the connections to the individual houses, and the road got redone. And I'm I'm like 98% sure that almost all of it was paid for by the developer that wanted to build a uh, you know a high rise. And it's usually resolved through development charges. Yeah, you essentially strike a deal with the city. It's prepayment of development charges. Um, this one's not as simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a little bit more complexity. But again, I figure at worst I'm going to learn a lot. Um, and there's always ways that you can like repurpose, you know, there's the dream plan and then there's the scaled back plan. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think if you strike a good enough deal, you have flexibility to not have to go for that triple a result and, and still be okay. Yeah. Like you don't need this to be, be triple a by any means. Like I think even in a, uh, a very, very average outcome with such a large parcel, you're going to be creating generational wealth. For sure. Yeah. And even like um, our project across from Victoria Hospital in London right now. Mm-hmm. So um, it used to be three separate lots. We bought it as one parcel, I think for 450. And when we bought it, we're like, okay, worst case scenario, if we don't get approved for some crazy reason, we can go back and sever it into three single family lots again. Yeah. 
you know, so we're always looking at like, what's our worst case scenario. Is there um, profit in that scenario? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not a, I wouldn't call it a win. Yeah. But you know, but if like, you're not losing money, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you get a single family lot for 150 K these days? Not really. Not really. Well, it depends on where. It depends on where. But yeah, it's yeah. hard to find. So that's kind of our worst case scenario. And I think like land development's always, it's always speculative. Yeah. There's, it's never the sure, sure, sure thing. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my mentors, I don't know if you know Bob Siskind. I know uh, another Siskind uh, lawyer. Okay. That's his brother. Yeah. Okay. Not Bob, but yeah. Okay. Go okay ahead. Cool. So Bob, Bob's amazing. And I remember I called Bob before I bought one of these land pieces. I said, Bob, like this feels very speculative. And he's like, it is speculative. And that's yeah. how you make all the money. And so long as your backside is your yeah. downside and your backside is protected, it's okay to be a little bit speculative. Yeah. So long as that's not your only play and you're yeah. okay for the worst case. That's the big thing. Be very real about the worst case and be okay with it, right? Is my worst case losing $500,000? Am I okay with taking on a few projects where it has a very low probability of losing 500,000 for the one that makes 10, 20 million, you know, it, that's, that's what I think developers have managed to balance. They balance that, the needs and, and their ability to take that risk. So you mentioned having the good ones. Yeah. The good ones, the bad ones just naively go, go out and, and get burned. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that I had the chance to, to burn, you know, get burned, um, in my twenties because it taught me some valuable lessons that I won't, uh, you know, so I won't repeat mistakes where it really matters, where there's real money and, you know, big money on the line. Have you, sh- have you shared these on the podcast? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've, <laughs> I've gone into them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So for those who haven't heard, yeah. Oh, I invested in Ohio, lost a bunch of money, uh, tried to develop in a, in a heritage neighborhood. Oh. Um, I had to hang on to a property for like five years. Um, it, you know, just, just not fun things and, uh, lots of pain associated. So, um, but that pain is so useful. It's oh, so yeah. useful. Once, once you've done it, then that's like your MBA and not being stupid. And yeah. uh, <laughs> it's a really good teacher. Oh, it's a great teacher. It's, it's true. Yeah, it's really. And I think I haven't experienced enough pain in land that I'm going to be naive for a little bit longer. <laughs> no, like, you know, you're, you're thinking about it the way I would think about it and, and, you know, really, okay, so what's my worst case scenario and am I okay with that? Yeah. So, so on the 23 and a half acres, what do you see as being your worst case scenario? Um, the worst case scenario is putting a, well, worst case, the worst, 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 worst case scenario is building one property, one house per property. On like how many parcels? Three parcels right now? Four parcels. Four parcels. Yo, those yeah. could be sick. Yeah, it could be like, some nice, nice uh, lots. You know, I don't know. That, I guess that's, and that's like so not realistic. Like yeah. even the scale down approaches, like can you sever and put properties on septic? Like yeah. there, there are so many layers down right. to worst so, so, case. And like, I mean, my dad's parcel, like he doesn't care. Like it's pennies for him. He, he mm-hmm. could sit on that for like a hundred right. years. Our piece, again, we have these VTBs, worst case scenario, if it's like, oh, this is literally a train wreck, you know, we've lost like a hundred K or something. Like, okay. Yeah. So you have a very managed mitigated downside. Yeah. And, yeah. and then of course, when we say worst case, that's an extremely, extremely unlikely. Extreme worst yeah. case. You have more likely worst case, like, you know, not quite worst case, but more yeah. likely less good options or outcomes. And those are still probably profitable. 
uh, it's really just in, in the absolute extreme extreme. Um, so what are some of the things that when you looked at it, they just gave you comfort? You know, you mentioned looking at what the area needed. Um, what, what gives you comfort about the economics of the area, about, you know, the people's uh, intention to, to stay in that area? Oh, man. Um, you're just digging on all the questions. I'm not going to tell you where this is. but Don't yeah, tell me, I, but just give me general ideas. Yeah, yeah. Kidding. So, yeah, uh, great, great location. Uh, you know, a place that's very, like, highly desired to live in. The mm-hmm. price for single-family homes is very high. Okay. Like, nothing. Like, shockingly high. Okay. Um, which is just surprising. Um, I think when we saw the price of like a very basic single family home, it was like, again, like close to the like seven fifty eights. And we're like, this is like for not like, you know, like 1200 feet bungalow, just like nothing crazy. We're like, Oh, this is wild. Um, yeah. Good proximity, like close to amenities, close to highways, mm-hmm. you know, just like all the things that people right. look for to live, like restaurants, grocery stores, um, things like that. It, it's kind of how I look at it is like, we're not a real estate family. We're not a development family. And this is like, our like kind of like, um, hail Mary of like, somehow we managed to, because of the pumping station, muster up this sizable piece of dirt that got overlooked. Okay. Because usually it's generations. Like you don't, you can't just buy 23.5 acres in a good area for not a lot of money, right? Like right. usually it's like your your grandfather or your great-grandfather yeah. bought this farmland. And it, so I feel like for us, it's felt like a gift. And I mean, okay, I'll tell you one of the crazy stories about this piece of how the, it's got assembled. So my dad buys the first piece 15 years ago, just randomly, like so randomly, like with no real plan. Then five years ago, before I was even in land, um, I'm flipping through a whole house and home magazine and I see this like listing for an eight acre, eight or nine acre parcel for like 300 K or 350. And I'm like, what is this? I randomly call, I never call it these. It's connected to my dad's piece. Oh, Wow. It's like the whole, it, it's truly has been like the weirdest assembly. And then the piece we got last year, three-year negotiation. And then actually the, the most recent piece to this, uh, 10, 9.5 acres, we got it in the pandemic wow. because we negotiated for like five years. And I think finally they're like, oh, okay, it's the pandemic. Like this is going to go down in value. Like if this is probably the time to let go of it. So it's been like a long game chess match to assemble all of this. And so that's why I think it it feels worth it um, with how crazy it has been. It does feel like there's a little bit of like fate element to it, which is dangerous because as soon as you get emotional and as soon as you think like, Oh, I'm going to do this for the art. I'm going to do this Mm because of this legacy vision. And like, I catch myself because I'm like so obsessed with the canvas of how epic this could be that I have to like tone myself down and going like, okay, am I about to make a bad business move? Because I'm like, I have like both sides. I have like the very intense finance cost control side and then also have the like art side. So I think that's kind of my, my, my genius when it's balanced, but when it's not balanced, it's a show. Yeah, I know what you mean. But, you you, but I mean, if you're, if you're passionate about it though and what you're doing, like somehow it just ends up being great. 
And uh, so far, so good. So far, so good. I mean, but of course, as long as you're balancing that need for, for costs, I've definitely had projects where it ended up being more expensive than I wanted it to be. But it's like, I look at the, the prod product and I'm like, well, there's nothing I really would have wanted to skimp on here. So it just, it is sort of what it is at that point. But uh, my, uh, my mother-in-law, Carmen, she has a way of, of just doing that. You know, she has a feeling about something. She has a yeah. vision and she trusts her gut and she's done some incredible projects and That's certainly awesome. built some incredible wealth. So there's something to it. That synchronicity when, when, you know, the lot beside the one that your dad owns just comes up. Um, I don't believe totally in those coincidences. I think that, uh, you know, the stars are aligning to a certain degree, um, totally. you know, because you're staying focused on what, you know, what you're trying to, uh, to bring into your life. Right. Totally. And I think in fairness, we're, we're not like gambling with our last hundred thousand. Right. Exactly. You're not, it's all relative to your, your portfolio. Like if people yeah. would have asked me about the Toronto investing option, you know, six months ago, I would have said, you know, Toronto could be great. Lots of people making a lot of money, um, but there's no plan B if, if, you know, if you don't have cash flow. So if you're going to be doing it, I mean, it would have to be an extremely small portion of your portfolio. Because- it, exactly. And I think for us, like we're, we're 90% on the conservative side. So yeah. 10%, you know, doing something more speculative, I think is a really, you know, good, good fit for us. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So it's all about weighing what, what portion of your portfolio that is. Like totally. I think a good portfolio is, is mostly con- uh, composed of cash flowing properties that cash flow well. And I think that you and I share some of those views. Why don't you just tell me what you look for uh, in properties? Uh, you know, if you guys are sitting on some properties or holding some properties in your portfolio, what you look for. Yeah. So definitely like on, on the, the project, not that every project is infinite returns, but that is kind of like our mm-hmm. target with projects. So the perfect burr, you want to get all your money back out? We do. Um, that I think that's like one criteria that not every time, but often. And then, yeah, then obviously there is the, the cash, the cash part. And again, I told you what our family philosophy is on money. It's got to be 10% or, or it's not profitable. <laughs> well, yeah, because we do private mortgages, right? Yeah. So like, as our baseline, we have not access to an infinite amount of really good lending deals, but we have access to, you know, a lot of really, really... Mm-hmm. lending deals. So, you know, um, on the passive income side, do you know Dave Osborne or have you heard of him? I'm not familiar. No, he's amazing. He, he's American. Um, he has, he's like one of the top Keller Williams, uh, franchisees. I think he has like, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them. He wrote a really good book called wealth can't wait. Um, and really talking about, you know, setting up your portfolio in a way that you can, um, you know, make enough passive income that, you know, your whole life is taken care of and whatnot. And he set up some really fun structures around like he set his up in a very inefficient way uh, in the sense that um, on the first, he gets a passive income check on the second, he gets a passive income like every month. He gets a check okay. every single day of the gotcha. month. Gotcha. That's very inefficient because it's actually way better to get it all on one day. <laughs> yeah. I've since it's realized true. it is yeah. true. Um, but so, yeah, I think for us, it's a, it's a project by project uh, basis we don't do a lot of residential, like single family residential. Okay. That's kind of one thing I wish we had done more of in the past few years. And I think that we'll look at more for the next few years. I think the reason why we haven't is I think we're a little lazy and I think the single family management is significant. Yep. It's like, it takes a team. And so, you know, back in the day we're like, you know, commercial real estate, you can have like 
two people run a hundred million dollars of commercial real estate in theory, if commercial real estate holds up, you know, mm -hmm. whereas residential, you do need, you do need teams. Like I look at people like Mandy, uh, Brand Branham and yep. also Brady McDonald, like, yo, they have teams like that is an operating company, but I'm like, it's pretty smart. Well, it, I mean, economically, I, I love the fact that people will always need a place to live. Yeah. And if the infrastructure is there, you've got sewers and water mains, you know, people aren't just going to go dig new fields. And if they're not leaving Canada, you know, they're still going to need a place to live. So I, I've always liked that commercial space. Yeah. I mean, that's a great segue. What do you see now that we're in this ridiculousness? Um, you know, how do you see that affecting things? I know you're probably, you know, medical is probably not going anywhere. I know you said you like them as tenants. Talk to me a little bit about, about your business model around that. Yeah, we have a, we're, I would say because of my husband's background in commercial real estate, like the covenant has always been the focus. Mm -hmm. Like who is the tenant? Are they a triple A tenant, you know, or are they like something almost equivalent to that? And yeah, I would say like most of our tenants, like we have one restaurant tenant, you know, so okay. we have very few tenants that are in that kind of like most high risk. Um, yeah. zone. um, so what do you consider low risk? Like what's a low risk tenant? Yeah. So I would say, um, well, it's funny because you would have said dental was low risk until recently. Everything is shifted, right? That I think, should, you'd think that come back though. You know, I people do, still have teeth. <laughs> I, I do think you will, but you literally would have thought that a dentist would like, would never be at risk. And I have a neighbor, uh, and I have a piece of like a personal property that one day we might develop. And our neighbor, there's a dentist and he's like, I have no job right now. I'm unemployed. I'm like, that blows my mind that a dentist is unemployed. Um, so yeah, I would say medical usually, but that said, you know, medical got hit really hard. Um, like for the past few months, like all of our medical tenants, like no one was seeing patients as opposed, except for like, um, emergency patients. So, okay. Let me, let me say this during a pandemic. I don't think there's anyone that is safe. <laughs> Not really. No, because you never know what's essential. I mean, if you're, no, unless you're an essential service, you know, unless you're the hospital, unless you're on the police building, like, <laughs> like really. And that's what I mean. I think in my yeah. head, I'm still in this season. Yeah. Really? Like, let's just put that aside. So like outside of that, I would say, um, strong businesses that have been around for a while, that's mm -hmm. often a general rule that they're pretty stable and that they have a, a build up of cash flow. That said, go look at good life. They're not my tenant, but I know people that they are the tenant. zero rent paid the past. Really? That's because they stopped collecting, uh, membership dues. Membership. You know, so you know again, what LA fitness didn't do. <laughs> they yeah. just keep charging my credit card every month. Oh, really interesting. But yeah, no, yeah. I would say in general, medical yeah. is really good. Um, businesses that don't seem that fancy, like mm -hmm. it. Yeah. It is, so is going to be a good one. You know? Yeah. All of ours fit into this, uh, either medical IT supply chain, tertiary mm -hmm. medical, you know, again, the odd restaurant, the restaurant tenant, it's a mixed use. So we have a res residential upstairs. Yeah. So again, feel yeah. pretty good there. But to your point, do I know what's going to happen? I have no idea what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I am concerned. I'm in the concern camp. Now I know that in our community, there's tons of people that are like, there's no slowdown of anything and there's going to be no crash. And this is like the best time ever. And mm -hmm. Hey, they might be right. And I might be missing it on on upside. I'm always cool to miss upside. So long as I feel like my downside is protected. Right. Um, and I think right now we're in a fake economy. We're in a stimulus driven economy. 
Um, I have a tenant that was actually um, problematic and in arrears before COVID. Guess who's caught up because of SIBA? <laughs> yeah. So like none of this is real for people it's that think frustrating. Well, I mean, it was great. We got caught up. This is like fantastic. Like they owed us like 25 K and I got all of it in full, which I wouldn't have got probably if there was no quarantine. Um, and, and that didn't come out. But so one, anyone who's looking at this economy as indicative of what's coming, they're totally missing the point. Everyone is on some kind of stimulus in some capacity. Nothing is real right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know the timeline of the real, is it six months? Is it 12 months? Is it 18 months? Is it 24 months? I think it really depends on way too many X factors than we could ever speculate right now. One is um, in Canada, like how much stimulus will Trudeau continue to dish out and in what capacity? I don't think he even knows. <laughs> we, you know, we, we don't know. So like part of me is like, is it, is it doing like a, um, a dollar cost averaging approach? Yeah. <laughs> Do you just buy a house? Do you just buy one a month from now on? And, and, and you're going to just catch the thing? Cause like, we don't know. And then there's the other side of it, which is, um, holding too much cash could be very problematic in the next. Oh, yeah. So literally I am juggling the whole, I have a lot of, I have a very high cash position right now. Yep. So I'm like, okay, have a high cash position. I just killed a massive development. Um, which is unfortunate. It was a um, uh, conversion. Literally in January, this was the best deal of my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm like, it's not the climate because it's a multi-year project and the usage as is, it was vacant for years before this. If I don't get approved, I'm actually screwed. So literally my multi-million dollar upside, I'm going to just go like, I'm going to pretend that that's not there because my downside would just be so painful. And I don't think today is the day to be bullish. I really don't. Yeah. I feel, I feel the same. Um, and, and I, I like that you, you can be okay with that decision. And I, I'm strongly, strongly encourage people to, to be very real about what you feel your downside is and whether you're okay with that downside. And yeah, even if you have to give up something, a, a hypothetical, like I'd rather be able to sleep at night and I, oh, I can, I can definitely, um, you know, empathize with your, you know, the cash position thing. Cause I, I hold cash for all my rentals and it's like literally watching inflation steal my money. Uh, as, as all this stimulus comes into our economy and devalues yeah. and dilutes our dollar, it's like this hidden tax that's, that's sucking away wealth, uh, but also increasing the value of real estate in the long run. Um, so, so there's a, you know, a positive there, but I mean, we all need operating capital. We all need to run our businesses. We all need to be able to weather the storm, whatever the storm is and however long it lasts. And you want cash for, I think like the thing I w most want cash for is the opportunistic plays on the other side of this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, like even when credit's tight uh, and I think there's that deflationary period prior to the inflationary period. I mean, of course, we're already seeing some, some, uh, you know, food goods and, and essential goods go up in cost. Uh, but I think that on the real estate side, we may see a, a slight deflationary in some cities, especially like Toronto. Uh, I, I foresee it happening just because it was already so inflated. Um, but uh, no one knows for sure. Uh, I'm hoping it's marginal, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think that there is that opportunity, especially because if, if credit gets a little tighter towards that, that side of things, uh, people who are sitting on cash are going to just clean up. They're just so going to be able to. What I can't answer is how could there not be a big crash? Okay. Mm -hmm. So like businesses are affected. Mm -hmm. Businesses are closing and it hasn't even started. So like yeah. I cannot see a world 
where businesses are not massively affected in the future, which means yep. that jobs are going to be massively affected in the mm-hmm. future, which means that the, you know, the amount of transactions in general are going to be affected. Yeah. Like I, I can't see an explanation unless there's again, an X factor that we're not even like yeah. realizing. I oh, can't, there has to be, there has to be. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I, I just, I can't see. And so what I laugh about is a lot of these people that have never seen a crash and I've yeah. never seen a crash. I, I started working in 2008 in a crash. Mm-hmm. I started, I built a seven figure company in a crash. Didn't even realize it was a crash. I was just head down kind of working. Um, but I've never, we've never experienced the pain. Yeah. Like the real estate industry in Canada, I not, well, I won't say Canada because Alberta has, but in Ontario, who, who has experienced the pain? Most people yeah. have not. And they just can't imagine that the pain could exist. And again, I'm totally happy to be wrong. Same here. So I'm happy to be wrong. Here's what I, what I speculate would need to happen in a responsible government with a well-informed, responsible and educated leader. Uh, we would, I mean, if you think about our economy moving, if you're a speedboat, our economy is a speedboat. You've got uh, multiple anchors out the back. One anchor is taxation. Another anchor is uh, interest rates and, and the level of interest rates. Uh, another anchor is regulation. Um, those, are, those are three sort of anchors slash levers that we can use to, to allow our economy in the inevitable. What you're describing is inevitable. Multiple business, probably five out of 10 businesses. Um, we could see, you know, factoring that a lot of them are small. So a lot of them are just, they were in the business or half in the business. Now they're out because they lost money. They're, you know, wasn't, you wasn't think it's good. five out of 10. You think so? No, no. You think so? I think it could be. I, I'm totally speculating. That's, that's crazy number, but you might be right. But that, that, don't be deceived by that number because there's a lot of people that are small businesses that from home operations they're do something dabbling. on the side. They're, they're dabbling. Even- yeah, 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 they're dabbling. So, so it's not like I think five, five out of 10 storefronts are going to go under. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, but jobs are affected by the, even the dabblers, right? So uh, if we see that, we see a contraction in our economy. A smart, uh, educated leader would say, okay, we got to get rid of some of these anchors at the back. So we're going to reduce regulation. We're going we're gonna, to, interest rates are going to drop to zero, which they already are. So we, we don't have that lever anymore. So the only other lever we have is reduce taxation, or the more irresponsible version of that is throw free money at people, which I don't agree with. I think we should reduce their regulation, reduce their taxation, payroll tax, all that stuff to just give them an incentive to jump in. Hey, now's never been a better time to just jump in and go. Uh, yeah. If it is possible, all I'm trying to say with that is with the right leader, it's possible that we come out of this better. Um, with bad leadership, it could go absolutely the other way. So um, <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, that maybe Trudeau has some good advisors that can that can help him along the way. I don't know. <laughs> Not to get political here. <laughs> and you know this, in every economy, there's opportunities. There always are. Oh, yeah, there could be great. No matter what, there's opportunities. So I don't mean to say any, you know, anything of, of the sort. I'm saying understand the, the situation, understand what dynamics are at play. And then, of course, let's be ready to pounce. And, yeah, I think cash is needed right now. I think cash okay. is needed to take advantage. If you're going to come out on the upside of it, um, you know, that's a smart move. Do you, like, if you were to... to to talk to somebody, would you, would you be in a buy position right now or only if it's like an incredible deal? Incredible deal. I, yeah. I've told people like, wait, like this isn't, mm-hmm. this isn't, the, and again, yeah, there, if there's an incredible deal, mm-hmm. especially if it's like, um, I would buy an emotional deal right now. <laughs> okay. Like something I've really wanted for a really long time. Like, yeah. uh, the, the, the part of the development, like I was like, I might be able to get this for a better deal six months from now, if it's still, you know, 
if it's still around, but I would say if there's like a property that you're like, Oh, like I've literally yeah. wanted, I've had my sights on this forever. This is either like a missing piece to my puzzle or something like, you know, my dream property or, you know, something that it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's again, more emotional, you know, maybe that. Right. Um, but I would say like, I, I was hearing someone talk about the, the levels of buying property in the, in, in, uh, you know, crashes. And there's like the first, the first piece of like when it starts to drop. And then like, so there's like a whole bunch of, you know, people that go out and try to buy those. And then the really opportunistic buying happens after that. Yeah. And you're less selective. I think about what the asset is at that point. It's less about like, Oh, it's this legacy piece on a corner that I like really want my great grandkids to see. It's more like the dollars of this are insane. Mm-hmm. and it's there's just no way that this isn't going to make sense if you can ride out the storm and my dad always says this he's like uh, the difference between who makes it and, and doesn't make it through a recession it's like paper thin yeah like you're gonna look like an idiot or a hero depending on literally like it, it could be a hundred thousand dollar difference yeah so it and i don't even know if you can still get lines of credit like and things like that right now but you know, if you can, if people can, I'd say like shore up on resources, like as much as you can shore up right now. Um, you know, and even for me, like why I started a new operating business two months ago was I was like, I want even more cash. Like give me all the cash I can get because it's going to go so far. And at least I felt like my theory, and I don't know if this is good, you know, economics, I felt like in an operating business, like I'm somewhat protected with inflation somewhat. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't feel that way in mine, but no, uh, I, don't know. I just I feel like it's a necessary know. evil, right? Like you gotta, you, 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 but at least like if you're in the market operating, like you're, you can yeah. raise your price too. Sure. Of course. Like yeah. You're, you're creating some kind of vehicle yeah. and cause with, with leases, your lease is decided for you. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, with, um, with, uh, leases, you're not protected against inflation. No. I wonder if you could put like an inflation clause. I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. You can. Uh, It's just a matter of writing it in. Right. Um, Like if, if CP, you know, consumer price index exceeds this, we'll renegotiate at at this price. No, I'm going to, I'm going to make a note of that. Tell my lawyer future leases inflation. No, but seriously, like a special clause about uh, consumer price index. Yeah. Like Um, do you want one of those? (laughs) I don't, I don't have any commercial real estate like that. So I don't, I don't have that. So for res, I'm limited in what I can increase anyway, in, yeah. except for on new construction units, in which case I'm not limited in any way. I can just, as soon as I'm out of the lease. So I have one unit out of all my units that uh, is, is not rent controlled. Uh, so if the, you know, if I ever decide, Hey guys, <laughs> this is the new rent. So you're, you're sitting on some cash. Uh, did you have any like thoughts about like putting it into precious metals or anything like that yeah. to hold value? Yeah, I did not. I really didn't get gold until like a month ago when someone I really trust, I'm like, so like, what do you think? And they're like, what I didn't understand is I was like, it has no application. Sort of a, yeah. And sort of like, no but I was like, jewelry I and electronics, but, I'm, but they're like, okay, but what application does like currency have zero? And I was like, shoot <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> no, you're right. And I'm like, if I'm going by this application thing, what, and, and it's like, no, someone said that this is valuable. And there's this understanding, which is if you think about currency, it's the exact same thing. Someone said this is valuable, except now with the gold, it's, um, it's limited. Whereas the 
this mm. cash, it's, you know, infinite. So yes, I, 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 it's literally on my to-do list. I have not yeah. invested in gold yet. I need to invest in gold. I invested in crypto, um, uh, like Bitcoin and all those other things a couple years ago at the worst time. <laughs> Some I invested in really early at the best time. I just like couldn't yeah. figure out a lot of it back then. Then I invested more. Um, what are your thoughts on gold? Um, gold's, gold's expensive right now relative yeah. to silver a lot, really expensive. So, um, yeah, I've, I've got it on my to-do list to buy some silver. I don't love, like, uh, like I'm with you there. I'm like, it's just kind of annoying that I, my government's been so irresponsible with our currency that I need to actually hedge myself against the loss of value of my currency. It's just annoying is all it is. It's not really an investment. It's just, it's just a hedge. It's an insurance policy. It's a hedge. Yeah. I know. And I, I really think like, and again, I've never heard an um, economic economist uh, talk about this. I just think operating businesses are the best hedge right now. Yeah, well, you can change your price. Like you said, you can always just change your price one month to another. So that there's lots of... Useful, which, to be honest, is why I started GoFogit because I was like, okay, real estate is all of a sudden, it's gone from like being a really safe investment to being borderline, is it even safe to go into a space? So mm -hmm. I think like in my psyche, I was like, wait a minute, if I become best in the world at disinfecting, on one level, it makes all of my real estate safe as well as all the real estate out there in the world. It gives, it gives real estate a chance, which is so funny because a lot of the people that have got involved with GoFogit have been in the real estate space. Yeah, it's um, a complimentary business. Which is messed up, but yeah, I, I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's really cool. Um, all right, Diana, I don't want to keep you all day long. Um, if people wanted to uh, follow you in your journey or reach out to you, uh, where should we send them? Sure. Um, I'm very introverted, but uh, if they, if they find me, I'm on Instagram. I'm at Diana powerhouse. Uh, and then our mortgage administration company is ffbcapital.ca. Um, okay. And then if people need their spaces disinfected, it's uh, gofogit.com. Perfect. Okay. And then any parting words of wisdom for our listeners and viewers? No, I just think like, I, I love Warren Buffett's like golden rule, like, you know, rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't ever forget rule number one. Yeah. And I think like, I've, I've never seen people go wrong holding on to too much cash. Mm -hmm. I, you know, maybe in Venezuela, but in, in 99.99% .99 circumstances, you know, playing the conservative option and, and having cash um, so that you can you know, take advantage of opportunities. Most of the time, um, it's the right play and it's, it's always good to be prepared for a rainy day. So I would encourage people to consider, you know, those cash positions and, uh, not be too aggressive. Yeah. And I'll, I'll definitely uh, second that on the not being too aggressive. Now, of course, neither Diana or I are giving any advice whatsoever. Always consult your financial advisor. Um, but uh, I certainly do appreciate your point of view and, uh, thank you so much for doing this. It was great. It's so great to, uh, finally connect and uh, hope to meet you in real life one day soon. Yeah. Hopefully when we can finally meet at, at events again, we'll, uh, we'll have to put, uh, put an in-person handshake there. Thanks for watching today's episode. Just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell. Uh, and also leave a comment. And hey, while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help? It helps this podcast grow and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.